You are listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast. To learn more about Passion City Church, including our gathering times in Atlanta and Washington, DC, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com. As I was praying about what God might have me share, what he would want to share uh, today, I really was praying um, and asking God, God, in the, in the nation's capital, in, in, a, in a space where everybody wants their life to count, how can we have a few moments that maybe you would use to provide some clarity in a course for people that want their life to matter? And I was reminded of uh, being at my seminary graduation in 2021. You're like, that didn't sound like that long ago. It wasn't, but I was there for a long time, so it's okay. Um, I don't know if I actually graduated or if they just got tired of me and were like, let's just let the poor guy walk, you know? He's given us enough money. Uh, but I was at graduation, and um, the guy who was speaking, preaching at our graduations, a guy named Timothy Atik, who's uh, preached here many times and is amazing. And he gave this message um, around John the Baptist. And it just started me uh, down this course of wanting to study this life and learn about John the Baptist and just been digging through the scriptures and figuring out what we can learn about this life. And I thought, you know, I stood in that moment going, I'm kind of here at the end of school and life in ministry feels like it's starting. And I have all this ambition, all this desire for my life to count. And it was like God met me and he provided a course because, you know, the, 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 the difference between self-ambition and godly ambition, that, that line can get blurry sometimes, even for those of us who are in ministry. And for many of you, I know you moved to D.C. I want to make a difference. I want to make my life count. And I wanted to look at John the Baptist today and hope that God would do in you what he did in me of giving me an example to follow after so that our lives can count for what matters most. I, um, in 2020, we were renovating a house. Wouldn't recommend it. Um, it was a hundred year old house. Uh, we had a newborn baby and uh, we were trying to lead a church through a global pandemic. So it was a great uh, combination of a season. Um, but during uh, that season, I would ride around with our builder and, and he would show me these different houses, you know, like we built that garage and we built this thing over here. You're like, what's a garage? A garage is a thing where you can pull your cars into and adds part of your house. No, I'm just kidding. Um, but he's like, you know, I built that 20 years ago. I built this however many years ago. And I just was reminded in that moment, I didn't say this to him, but I was so grateful in the moment that what we get to do by putting our hands to kingdom work, it's like, it's not going to last for 20 years or 50 years is going to last for eternity. And what a gift that we have to tether our lives to something that will matter far longer than our vapor of life. James calls our life a vapors. Here today, it's gone tomorrow. And I want to live in that zone in a way that will honor God and will reverberate and echo in eternity. And I know you want to as well. I was thinking about this, um, this emoji. I don't know if you know this emoji right here. Uh, do you know this emoji, the goat? Um, who, I want to, when you, uh, we, my, my friends and I will text this to each other, you know, we're watching a sports, uh, game or something and we'll text the goat back and forth, meaning, uh, the greatest of all time. I wonder when you think about the goat, who, do, who do you think about? Just maybe tell your neighbor, it could be an athlete, it could be a musician, it, no, no categories. I, I brought a couple uh, today, just a couple photos I want to look at together. <laughs> Somehow, whenever you talk about the goat, uh, th these kind of come up and, I just figured today at church, we could get some clarity, you know, from the Lord. This is uh, Kobe Bryant on the left and uh, LeBron James in the middle. And then this is the goat on the right. His name is Michael Jordan. He's the greatest basketball player of all time. 
Everybody my age is like, amen. Everybody younger than me is like, man, back on our phones now. Um, Maybe for you, when you think about the GOAT, you think about Michael Phelps, it'd be hard not to at least put him in the conversation. I was a tennis player growing up, so it'd be tough to top Serena. Uh, She's won a lot, pretty hard to beat. A lot of people think of this girl, Taylor Swift. I've been hearing a lot about her in my feed, Taylor Swift, lately. Uh, Simone Biles got to be in the conversation somewhere. It comes to uh, actors, for me personally, I don't know for you, for me personally, I'm putting Denzel as my goat. Um, Tom Brady's got to be in the conversation. Messi's got to be in the conversation. Tiger's in the conversation. And as a tennis player, I don't care how many um, Grand Slams Novak Djokovic wins. I don't care if he wins another 150 Grand Slams. Roger Federer will always be the goat, in my opinion. And it's kind of helpful that we've had that language kind of come around just in the last few years of who's the goat, who's the greatest of all time. And today, as we look at this life of John the Baptist, I wanted you to see it's interesting that Jesus in his own words in red letters in Matthew chapter 11 says this about John the Baptist. It says, truly I tell you, among those born of women, there has not risen anyone greater than John the Baptist. Think about that. That's Jesus. Now, just to be clear, Jesus is the goat, okay? That's what we believe here at Passion City Church. Jesus is the goat. But it is pretty amazing to think that the goat, Jesus, says about this man among everyone born of women, which is everybody, no one has arisen greater than John the Baptist. And it feels like if Jesus, the real goat, says, you want to see a great life, look at John the Baptist then we should look at that and figure out what has John the Baptist modeled for us as we stand here in 2023 wanting to live lives that matter. Maybe you're familiar with John the Baptist, maybe you're not, but he's a medical miracle born to two really old parents. Uh, and so, so old, actually, that when they're told they're going to have a baby, they laugh audibly. So that's pretty uh, amazing. Lived out in the wilderness, a strange dude, wore camel hair, leather belts, ate grasshoppers. That was his diet. Um, and we know theologically that Jesus calls him the greatest because he was the bridge. He was the link between the Old Testament and the New Testament that throughout the Old Testament was prophesied, all the prophets. There is a Messiah coming. The kingdom of God is coming. And then when you turn the page into the New Testament and after 400 years of prophetic silence, we enter in Zechariah and Elizabeth and they have a son named John the Baptist. And he begins to declare not just the kingdom of God is coming, but the kingdom of God is here. That's why he is, Jesus says he is the greatest. But as we look at his life, I think we can learn a few things. How can we be great in the eyes of God? Because if you think about it, it seems like a, a, a pretty big waste for our lives to be impressive to people, but not pleasing to God. That we could, like everybody else that works at your workplace, we could aim to be great in this world. And yet we can miss being great in the eyes of God. And I want my life at the end. Do I want to have influence? Yes, I want to have kingdom influence. I want God to use me to build his kingdom on planet earth. But the, what I'm aiming for is I want my life to be pleasing to God. So look, let's look at John chapter one. This is the testimony of John the Baptist. Here's what it says, beginning in verse 19. And this is the testimony of John. When the Jews sent priests and Levites from Jerusalem to ask him, who are you? He confessed and did not deny, but confessed, I am not the Christ. 
And they asked him, what then are you, Elijah? And he said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? And he answered, no. So they said to him, well, who are you? We got to give an answer to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And he said, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord, as the prophet Isaiah said. Now they had been sent from the Pharisees and they asked him, then why are you baptizing if you are neither the Christ nor Elijah nor the prophet? And John answered them, I baptize with water, but among you stands one you do not know. Even he who comes after me, the strap of whose sandal I am not worthy to untie. Now this is going down. Let me try to paint some context for you. This is going down in the first century and there's all this expectation and excitement about the promised coming Messiah. There was an eagerness, a a real looking forward to the Messiah is coming. We believe he's coming. And at the time, uh, Israel was under Roman oppression and the Jews believed that a Messiah was gonna come and he was gonna be this uh, political conquering king. He was gonna overthrow Rome and establish them uh, as God's people and ruling nation once again. And instead, what they get is this guy wearing camel hair, leather belts, eating honey and grasshoppers, and he's baptizing people. What's the big deal about him baptizing people? We baptize people at our church all the time. Well, when we baptize people now, what we're doing is we're baptizing people who identify with the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But at this time, Jesus had come. He had yet to give his life for the sins of the world, and he had yet to been raised, be raised from the dead. What John is doing is he's baptizing people in, in a purification ceremonial uh, way of saying to the Gentiles at the time, not the Jews, the Gentiles who weren't the chosen people of God, I am going to baptize you as a way for you to identify with God's people. It was a purification ritual. But John the Baptist wasn't just baptizing Gentiles. He was also baptizing Jews. And this began to ruffle a lot of feathers because the Jews were like, well, we're the, we're God's chosen people. Surely we're good. We don't need to be baptized. And he says, no, I'm telling you, everybody needs to repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. And and people didn't like that too much. That's where the context is coming into this conversation. The Jews are sent to figure out who is this guy that's telling even the Jews they have to be baptized. And when we see in John's response, I believe there are four things we can learn if we want to live lives of significance and if we want to be great in God's eyes. Number one, we see this. John the Baptist was confident in his identity. He had clarity in his identity. He knew who he was and he knew who he was not. The people asked him, are you the Christ? He says, no. Are you Elijah then? Because you know, Elijah didn't die in the Old Testament and Malachi says he's coming back. Are you him? No, no, no. Okay, well then are you the prophet? Moses talked about a prophet that was gonna come. Are you him? No. And I want you to think about this, that, that John the Baptist has asked multiple times, are you the Christ? Like nobody's ever asked me that. Nobody's ever been into a grocery store. Like, I'm just not sure. Is that him? Is it not him? Should we go talk to him? I'm not, I don't know. John the Baptist has all the people asking him, like, are you the Christ? And he says, I'm not. And what he's communicating when he says, I'm not, is I'm not the bread of life. It it says, if you eat of the bread of life, you'll you'll never be hungry again. John the Baptist goes, that's not me. 
I'm not the light of the world. I'm just here to testify to the light. I am not the good shepherd. I am not the resurrection and the life. I'm not the true, branch, the true vine. I'm just a branch like you. I'm not the way and the truth and the life. He knew who he was and he knew who he wasn't. Now, when you think about our story, humanity and the fallenness in our sin nature, all the way back into the garden, when sin entered the world, we, we made it to page three before we wrecked this whole thing. And on page three, when sin entered the world, the lure of the enemy was what? It wasn't about fruit. It was, a, it was about if you eat of this fruit, God knows that you will be like him. You will, you, your name will rise up to the level of God. You'll have some prestige. You'll be important. You'll gain some status. And you look at Genesis chapter 11, just a few chapters uh, later, and where the Tower of Babel account is. And it says the people rallied. They had rebelled against God. God had told them to scatter. They said, no, we want to settle. We don't want to scatter. We want to settle. And let us build a tower that reaches into the heavens. Why? So that we can build a great name for ourselves. And as I thought about coming to DC today, I thought this is the place people go to make a name for themselves. This is a city full of names. Attach yourself to a name and ride the wave. And I believe God today wants to give us a path to attach our name to a name that is above every name that will last for all of eternity. It was reported, I read this just a few months ago, that uh, Instagram began selling the blue check mark. Did you, did you read this? And on the first day, in the first 24 hours, they sold the blue check mark to 44 million people. That's over $600 million for Instagram, so pretty good move for them, I guess. And, and the crazy thing is that, you know, the blue check mark in our culture, and I'm not knocking you if you bought it. I know there's businesses and there's, you know, people that hack your identity and try to get money and I get all that. But for the bulk of the people, the majority of the people, the blue check mark means status. It means significance. It means look to me, I'm important. And what we see in John the Baptist, and I believe what will, ha what will help us to leave, live lives that are truly great in the eyes of God is when we realize that it's not about building a great name for ourselves. To be great in the world's eyes means you build a name for yourself. To be great in God's eyes means you're not building yourself up, you're laying yourself down. That humility is the pathway to significance in the kingdom of God. And for some of you, you, you moved into this city, you want your life to count, you're, you're working and you're trying to make a name for yourself or you're trying to stack up your accomplishments seeking somehow that's gonna make a name for you. But I'm telling you, finding your worth and approval in your accomplishments will always fade and you know that to be true. You can never accomplish enough for your name to be steady. And John the Baptist knew my life is not gonna be about what I can accomplish. I'm going to tether my life to someone far greater than me. In our story, we already have a hero and we do not need another one. There's no way for you to strive your way into the kingdom. You cannot negotiate your way into the kingdom. The only way in is through surrender and submission to the son of God. If he humbled himself and came down to planet earth to establish his kingdom, then we must humble ourselves to step into it. And John the Baptist said, one is coming after me and I'm not worthy to even untie his sandals. Isn't it interesting that the life Jesus says, 
Among all those born of women, this is the greatest life. That guy says about Jesus, I'm not even worthy to untie his sandals. That's because humility leads to greatness in the economy of the kingdom. You see this in the apostle Paul. For my money, the most boss Christian of the New Testament. I'm gonna be in his line in heaven first. I'm going to meet Paul. He says in 1 Corinthians, who is Apollos? Who is Paul? He goes, who am I? I'm not anybody. Christ is everything. He says in 2 Corinthians chapter four, I'm not preaching myself. We don't preach ourselves. We preach Jesus Christ. Paul had and John the Baptist had a confidence in who they were and a confidence in who they weren't. And if you don't have a confidence in who you are not, you will be whoever people need you to be. And what people need you to be and who people need you to be will always change. And yet with Jesus, the scripture says of him, he is never changing. He is the same yesterday. He is the same today. He is the same forever. Your worth and your status does not rise and fall with your accomplishments in the kingdom of God. It stays steady because it is tethered to someone who never changes and never fades. The second thing I think we see of John the Baptist, if we want to live lives of significance, is he had conviction in his words. He had clarity in his identity, and he had conviction in his words. In Luke's gospel, it says this, during the high priesthood of Annas and Caiaphas, the word of God came to John, the son of Zechariah in the wilderness. And he went into all the region around the Jordan, proclaiming a baptism of repentance for the forgiveness of sins. The word of God came to him while he was in the wilderness, and then he did what? He spoke the word of God, that when he opened his mouth, his opinion about things didn't come out. What came out was God's word. We need more people in 2023 that will speak the word of God. Our opinions are not that helpful to people. This is what's helpful to people. And to the degree that you're in this and under this and saturating your life in this, when you get squeezed by the pressures of life, what will come out is not, I think, what will come out is, this is what God says. And the world needs people. If we want to live significant lives, we must not simply offer our opinions. We must offer the steady, unchanging, unfailing word of God to people. And I'm, I'm just like you. I'm thinking about uh, my neighbors on both sides. Uh, I don't see their cars pulling out on Sunday mornings to go to church anywhere. And I'm like, ah, I have a burden for them. I want them to come to know Jesus. But you're kind of like, I don't know, around my house, there's uh, uh, maybe like 5,000 churches within two miles. So surely if they wanted to go to church, like they could find one, you know? And as I like prayed and sought the Lord, I've just felt like he's sensing, are you really convinced that they might not like the message or are you more worried that they might not like you? John spoke the word of God and we need more people who are willing to do that. And we can't distance ourselves here of going, okay, well, John was like in the wilderness and literally the word of God came to him. Can I just tell you like literally the word of God comes to us. This is the living, breathing word of God. It's not dead. It's not antiquated. It's not a dusty book on grandma's shelf. It is living and breathing and active, and it's available to you. To the degree that you get this in you is to the degree that this will come out of you. And if we want to live lives of significance, we must fill our life with words that do not change. There's a huge difference between having to say something and having something to say. You ever been around those people that they just have to say something? What are y'all talking about? Oh yeah, well, let me tell you what I think about, you know, whatever, 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 whatever. It's like, that's, that's really not that helpful. It, what, let me tell you what is helpful is having something to say. And to the degree that you get this into your heart and into your life, you will have something to say that's helpful to people and will live lives of significance. Number three, we see that John the Baptist counted the cost. 
His obedience to Jesus ultimately landed him in jail and costed him his life. He called out the Roman ruler for taking his brother's wife to be his wife. Crazy, I know you should read the Bible. It's pretty amazing. And John spoke up and said, hey, you can't do that. And rulers don't like when you do that. So it landed him in jail and ultimately it costed him his life. But what we learn from John the Baptist is his obedience to God was more valuable to him than the approval of man. And Paul says in Galatians, he says, for am I now seeking the approval of man or of God? Or am I still trying to please man? If I were still trying to please man, I would not be a servant of Christ. The scripture is very clear. Following Jesus is going to cost you something. Receiving the gift is free, but responding to the gift is very costly. In fact, it will cost you everything. A costless Christianity is not a biblical Christianity. And one of the things this will cost us, and I think this is why John the Baptist's life was so great, is it costed him himself. You know, like when you read through, through the Old Testament and you read the story of the people of God, and one of the things that broke God's heart was they continually gave their worship to things that weren't worthy of it. And, and we're tempted to do the same thing. Sometimes it's other things, but I mean, if you read the Old Testament, there's a lot of similarities between then and now in that our temptation is not always to worship other things, it's to worship ourselves. And our word worship in the English language comes from two words, worth and ship, that in a very real sense, we, whatever we ascribe worth to, we will worship that. And for many of us in this kind of like self-worth era, look, I'm not against self-worth or anything like that. What I'm against is worshiping self because the, the way Tim Keller said it, to love anything in this world more than you love God, you will crush that thing under the weight of your own expectations. And if you put yourself on the highest rung of the ladder and you begin to worship yourself, you will crush yourself under that weight. You weren't meant to live under it. And the call of the scripture, if you wanna be a disciple of Jesus, the first call is that you must deny yourself. And John the Baptist did that. And if we wanna live lives of significance, we too must do that. Number four, this is the last one. John the Baptist had clarity on his mission. I found in studying the life of John the Baptist in this first account that we read at the beginning in John chapter one, I found this to be fascinating that when they press John the Baptist and they ask him who he is, he never responds with his name. Isn't that interesting? They say, are you the Christ? No. Are you Elijah? No. Prophet? No. Then who are you? And he doesn't say, oh, I'm John the Baptist. You hadn't heard about me. I've been out in the wilderness baptizing thousands of people. I got a big following. I'm gaining some status here. A lot of people are looking at me. I got something good going here. No, he never says his name. What does he respond with? He responds with what was most important to him, which was not his name. It was his mission. And he said, they said to him, well, who are you? We got to give an account to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? And John the Baptist replied, I am the voice of one crying out in the wilderness, make straight the way of the Lord. It's interesting, John identified himself as a voice. You can't see a voice. You're, you're not meant to travel to a voice. A voice is just meant to point you in a direction. A voice is something you hear, not something you look at. And John is saying, don't, don't look to me. Don't put me up. Don't worship me. I'm just a voice saying, look there. Don't look here, look there. And that's why his life was significant. He had determined whose name he would live 
for. He had settled the question of where will the trail of my life lead people? And he determined my life will lead people to a name that is greater than my name. Passion underneath the passion movement for over 20 years has been this verse from Isaiah 26, eight. It says, yes, Lord, walking in the way of your truth, we wait eagerly for you, for your name and your renown are the desire of our hearts. Very easy verse to read, very difficult one to live. That, that if you search my heart, God, what's in the deepest root of my heart is not to make a name for myself like the, like the people in Genesis chapter 11. But, but if you search my heart, what's actually down there in the roots of my heart is my deepest desire is for your name to be made famous on planet earth. And John the Baptist had that. And if we want to live lives of significance, we too must have that. Every person in this room is going to live for a name. The question is not, will you live for a name? The question is, whose name will you live for? Some of you will live for a name of a company. Some of you will live for the name of a politician. Some of you will live for your last name. Some of you will live for the name of your children. But the opportunity for us is to live for the name that is above every other name. John the Baptist had clarity on his mission I wonder if you do. You were created by God and you were created for God. The scripture says in Colossians, all things have been created through him and for him. John the Baptist knew why he was here. Do you? This reality changed my life. That we all have the same purpose in this room. That every person on planet earth who is taking a breath today has the same purpose. We all were created in God's image in all things, meaning everything that was created was created by God. Your life has intrinsic value, not because you're impressive to God, but because you were made in God's image. You were made by God. So if you're in this room today and you think, I don't know if my life has any value. Can I just tell you, your life has intrinsic value because you were made at the hands of almighty God? By God, for God. So your purpose is to leverage your life for the glory of God. That's all of our purpose. You're like, no, 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 I'm a, I'm a lawyer. Uh, I'm a doctor. Uh, I'm a teacher. I'm a lobbyist. I'm a banker. Uh, I, I'm a scientist. I'm an athlete. That, that's all great. That's not your purpose. That's your passion. That, that means when God wired you up, he gave you unique giftings and talents and they're different than mine and they're different than the person on your right or the person on your left, but that's just your passion. It's not your purpose, your purpose. And my purpose is to live for God, to live a life that honors God and brings glory to God and lets everybody around us know this is God. This is the name above all names and he's available and heaven is open and you can put your trust and faith and hope in him and it will last for all of eternity. That's your purpose. And many of us confuse our passion for our purpose. Your passion, let's just say you're a teacher, you're a school teacher. Praise God for you, by the way. I got three kids under five. That is not easy work. So praise God for you. But if you're a teacher, you could be real tempted to think, oh, all of my life and my purpose is about the classroom and it's about teaching, it's about whatever. No, no, that's just simply your vehicle that God has placed you in so that you can live out your purpose, which is to make much of Jesus. If you're a lobbyist and you're working on Capitol Hill, that's amazing. What an incredible opportunity. But your purpose is not to talk people into ideas. Your purpose is to lift everybody's eyes to the king. And your vehicle is you're placed on Capitol Hill. 
Everybody's been placed in a vehicle and your vehicle may be different, but our purpose is the same. We are here to make much of Jesus Christ and nobody gets a pass. God's never called one person. To be saved by God is to be sent by God. We're all saved and sent. Nobody got saved and didn't get sent. There's no such thing as an unsent Christian. And so I I want you to understand and embrace that reality today that you've been put on planet earth for what James calls a vapor so that you can leverage your life and your giftings and your talents and the vehicle he's placed you in for the purpose of making Jesus famous on planet earth. And nobody gets a pass from that. I I, uh, joke all the time with people because people who know me uh, know that I'm one of the most introverted people on planet earth like off the charts on the scale. People will look at me oftentimes and be like, you know, like confused when they see the results. And they're like, well, how do you do what you do like for a living? And I'm like, well, it's easy. No, I'm not like talking to anybody. I'm just talking at people, (laughs) you know? You you meet me outside afterwards. We have three conversations. I'm ready for a nap, you know? (laughs) But I can remember early on as I was learning about this and learning about how I'm wired and almost the temptation to go, oh, well, I could never do what God's calling me to do because I'm not wired that way. And many of us are sitting on the sidelines, not living out our purpose because you don't think you've been wired for it. But can I remind you, you were wired by God for the purpose God gave you. So I'm not against you figuring out all, your, all the tests that exist now and learning about yourself. What I am against is if you use those tests to get you out of living out your purpose, then you're missing it. Because God's given us all the same purpose to make much of Jesus Christ. So John the Baptist had decided the trail of my life will lead people to a name that is greater than my name. And look at it on display in John chapter one, a few verses down from where we were, verse 35 through 37. It says, the next day, again, John was standing with his two disciples and he was the voice. So he looked as Jesus walked by and his voice said, behold, the lamb of God. Everybody turn and look there. Don't look here, look there. And it says in verse 37, the two disciples, now whose disciples were they? John's disciples, the two disciples heard John say this and they followed Jesus. John's goal was what Paul says in Corinthians, follow me as I follow Christ. If you come in my footsteps, you're not going to get to me. You're going to get to him. And this is the goal for all of us. John was great because he had clarity in his mission. One last picture of John the Baptist, and then we'll close. John chapter three, these verses are incredible. Verses 22 through 31. I wanna just read you this account of what happened. It says in verse 22, after this, Jesus and his disciples went into the Judean countryside and he remained there with them and was baptizing. So now Jesus and his disciples are baptizing. Verse 23, John also was baptizing, which makes sense because he's John the Baptist. At Anon near Salim, because water was plentiful there. Seems important for baptism. And people were coming and being baptized, for John had not yet been put in prison. Now a discussion arose between some of, the, some of John's disciples and a Jew over purification. And they came to John and said to him, Rabbi, he who was with you across the Jordan, the one to whom you bore witness, look, he is baptizing and all are going to him. And John answered, A person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. You yourselves bear me witness that I said, I am not the Christ, but I have been sent before him. 
The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. The friend of the bridegroom who stands and hears him rejoices greatly at the bridegroom's voice. Therefore, this joy of mine is now complete. Verse 30, if you hear nothing else I say today, write down these seven words. This is how you live a great life. He must increase, but I must decrease. And verse 31 tells you why. For he who comes from above is above all. And he who is of the earth belongs to the earth and speaks in an earthly way. He who comes from heaven is above all. This is a fascinating picture of the humility of John, the clarity of his mission. You got John is baptizing people. Jesus and his disciples are baptizing people. And some of John's disciples come to John and say, hey, Rabbi, I don't know if you know this, but remember the guy from across the Jordan, the one that you bore witness about, the one that you told us all about? Remember that guy? Yeah, well, he opened up shop on the other side of the river and he's doing the same thing you do. Everything's the same. Same business plan, same things, got people in line the same way. And now everybody's going to him and they're not coming to us anymore. What are we gonna do about this? We're we're losing prestige. Our name is diminishing. We had this great thing. John, we've been riding your coattails, man. And it's been a pretty great ride. We've been gaining a following. We've been gaining traction. Thousands of people have been coming out to the wilderness to hear about this John the Baptist. And now we're starting to slowly lose our name as everyone's going to him. Which I think you see such humanity in that because they say everyone, all are going to him. But at the same time, it says John was baptizing people. (laughs) So it's like, there was somebody John was still baptizing. But they said, everyone is going to him. We're like that, aren't we? And listen to John's response. it's, It's brilliant. He says, first, a person cannot receive even one thing unless it is given him from heaven. What a word for our hyper comparison culture we live in today. John, all his disciples are threatened. And they, with angst, are telling John, thinking that John will be threatened. And John says, everybody have, has whatever heaven chooses to give them. It's all grace. Translation, their blessing doesn't threaten yours. Comparison will do one of two things in your life. It will make you feel inferior or it'll make you feel superior. Neither honor God. So there's no use in competing. There's no use in comparing. We're all on the same team building the same kingdom. But then look what he says. You yourselves, he's saying this to his disciples who are kind of freaking out. You yourselves bear me witness. Like you remember that I told you this from the very beginning. I don't know how many times I got to say this to y'all. I am not the Christ, but I was sent before him. Then look what he says. He uses this wedding imagery, which carries all throughout scripture. The one who has the bride is the bridegroom. Now, you know this from scripture, but God's people are referred to as the bride. And John the Baptist says, hey, the one who has the bride is the bridegroom. I'm not the bridegroom. He says, I'm just the best man. So, So my goal is not to get the bride to me. That'd be a weird wedding. My goal is not that all of the people will come to me over here and all his disciples are going, they're not coming to you anymore. And John goes, this was the whole plan because I'm not the bridegroom. I'm just the best man. My whole life existed. My whole ministry existed. The whole reason we're baptizing people in the first place, guys, is so that people would get to the groom. So he says, my joy is now complete. Isn't this amazing that his disciples come to him and they're threatened. Hey, we're diminishing in prestige. Our name is gonna be eliminated. Nobody's gonna remember us. We're not gonna be important anymore. And John's going, yeah, 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 yeah. This is the plan. This is the plan. Let's keep getting lower. 
Can they see us still? Let's keep getting lower. Let's keep getting lower. Because my goal was never to get people to me. My goal was always to get people to him. And he says, my joy is complete. We're losing prestige. Our name's going down. My joy is complete. Why? Because he must increase, but we must decrease. And this is how we live significant lives in the kingdom. It's interesting that John, who identified himself as the voice, says in this text that the bride must hear the bridegroom's voice. His whole identity, John's was, was I'm a voice. And then he says, there's another voice. And the bridegroom needs to hear that voice. If you trace that voice all throughout the rest of John's gospel, it's amazing. But in John 5, 25, it says, truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the son of God. And those who hear will live. John the Baptist made a decision that the trail of his life would lead people to Jesus. Why? Because as it says in Acts chapter four, there is salvation in no one else. There is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. John knew, don't bow down to me. Don't worship me. Don't congregate around me. Don't make much out of me. Look to him. Why? Because he's the one that left heaven and humbled himself and came to planet earth. He's the one that lived a perfect life. He's the one that's going to die for the sins of the world. He's the one that's going to come and buy us back and establish this kingdom. He's the Messiah. He's the coming one. He's the promised one. So look to him, not to me. At my graduation, T.A. used this word that I never heard of. I'm not a big um, cyclist, as you can probably tell. Uh, my legs are toothpicks. Um, but he talked about a domestique. And this image just got seared on my heart. And I don't know if you know either of these guys uh, up here, but uh, the guy on the left, I'm assuming at least some of you know, and some of you probably had a live strong bracelet at one point. Uh, that's Lance Armstrong. Um, the guy on the right, anybody know him? I didn't either. His name is George Incapi, and he was a domestique. You're like, what is that? Well, it's a French word that means servant. And the definition of a domestique is this. A domestique is a rider who works for the benefit of their team and their leader rather than trying to win the race themselves. So I don't know what kind of sacrifice has to go into being a cyclist that is good enough to race in the Tour de France, but I know it's a lot. And George, every day, woke up, made the same sacrifice, put in the same hours, worked equally as hard, got to the race, and raced in a way where he knew his name wasn't going to be the winner. He was racing for another name. So a domestique, if, if, if your leader needs water, the domestique would you know, race up ahead, get a water and bring it back to him. Take it a flat tire, domestique's gonna give you their bike. You take the one with the flat tire, you fix it and then figure out how to get it back. If your leader needs some kind of food, you slow down, get the food and then speed back up so that he, you race so he can win. And we are so tempted to try to be the leader, but our story already has a hero. And we don't need another one. We're just supposed to be the domestique 
We're just supposed to be the servant. And we don't race so that Jesus won. Jesus has already won. We race as part of the victory parade and part of building the kingdom on planet earth because heaven is open and we want it to be as populated as it can possibly be. So we race for the name, not for our name because the name will never fade. My favorite quote, I have it on my office and it just got seared into my heart the first time I heard it. And I hope maybe today God would sear it on your heart and it it would be a calibrating phrase to come back to. It's by a guy named C.T. Studd and he said this, only one life will soon be passed and only what's done for Christ will last. Only one life and it'll soon be gone and only what's done for Christ will last. So with all of this ambition and horsepower and desire for our lives to matter that I know so many of us in this room have, may God steer us clearly away from a selfish ambition that leads to making much of us. And may he lead us in a way where we work hard, we work with excellence, we do our very best, but not so people will know our name, but so that people will walk on the trail that our life leads and ultimately make it to the name above every other name. And may you use the influence that God gives you in whatever vehicle he's placed you in to not draw people to yourself, to not be the light, but to testify to the light that there is a name above every name and he's worth every single person getting to him. If you were encouraged by today's talk, Be sure to rate us and hit subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you stream your podcasts. To experience other talks, videos, and live gatherings, visit us online at passioncitychurch.com or download the Passion Movement app. And again, thank you for listening to the Passion City Church DC podcast.